If you have your Bibles with you to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, we're going to read a a fairly sizable block of uh, the scripture here, beginning in verse 20 and reading through chapter 6, verse 9. But um, it uh, has often been taken um, in smaller bites. in uh, smaller sections as it relates to husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves, and how those uh, relationships work out uh, in our uh, personal relationships with one another and in the world. Uh, I am attempting today Uh, rather than to look at all the specifics of the requirements of each one of those spheres of relationships, to look at this as a whole uh, so that we can uh, begin to move through it uh, rather quickly and consider uh, putting on the full armor of God uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 10 and following through the end of Ephesians. So, Uh, With that uh, brief introduction, would you turn with me, uh, and I'll have the words up here for you that you can follow if you wish, uh, to Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. But as the church is subject to Christ... So also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord, 
and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, and flowers fade and fall, but the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, we do pray that in the midst of all the things that have been going on here this morning, that we would be able to be still and know that you are our God. That all these things that stand before us would fade, that we might see you, the glory of our God, in the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in his name. Amen. For the past uh, few weeks, our grandchildren have been from here from uh, Colorado. They left uh, uh, midweek last week. But one evening, Deuce, who was 13 uh, years old, and I sat down to play uh, our first game of chess together. Uh, I'd been, uh, he'd been playing with, uh, with Dawn uh, all week. Uh, and uh, this was our first match on Tuesday evening. Uh, during the week, I'd been watching and listening to uh, the two of them uh, play, and I was a new opponent for him. And I'm not really sure he knew uh, what to expect. And honestly, I didn't know what to expect from him either as I sat down with him. And I have to admit, I did play a little aggressively within the boundary of the rules of chess. But we played respecting those rules of engagement. Each of the chess pieces, if you've ever played chess or know anything about it, is restricted to certain moves on the board. There is a hierarchy of position within the chess pieces that are on the playing field. King and queen and bishop and uh, knights and rooks. And the king has his role and the queen has hers and all the other uh, players have their, uh, their roles and their positions and their mission, which is all to protect the king. At one point, uh, Deuce uh, saw that I could put his king in uh, checkmate. And he respectively uh, laid his king down, uh, resigning, uh, essentially giving up. And what I did was encourage him because I knew uh, there were at least two or three more moves, uh, depending on how he responded to my moves, uh, in which the game could continue, in which he and I might learn uh, from one another. I encouraged him to continue to the end, to fight the good fight, uh, and uh, although he thought he knew what I was going to do, uh, between me and you, I really didn't. Uh, but uh, it was interesting. Uh, I, ultimately, I did end up uh, winning uh, the game. Uh, see, as in chess, uh, there are ROEs, rules of engagement, in the world that we live in today. Those rules define the circumstances, the conditions, the uh, manner in which a force might be used, particularly in military, 
and in battle and war, actions might be construed as provocative or offensive, and those rules might be applied or should be applied. Those rules, whether in world politics or government or churches or families, provide authorization for the players, for the participants to manage and work through relationships and specific situations. See, unfortunately, in the world, those rules of engagement seem to change, don't they? From day to day and week to week, they seem to be like jello. Uh, just, uh, it's difficult to put our, our hands around the world's rules of engagement. But in chess, as far as I know, and I definitely know in the world of God's Word, those rules never change. There is not many rules of engagement, but one rule of engagement according to God's word. See, I stand here before you this morning with great fear and trembling, preaching the word of God. The most exciting calling that I think anyone can respond to. It is one of the most demanding and also one of the most rewarding I can't imagine really doing anything else. I did, and now I'm not, but I am doing this. I uh, would submit to you that, that preaching the Word of God is one of the most frightening things a person can do because the one preaching is engaged by God's grace in handling carefully the Word of God. Striving to properly interpret that word as it applies to our practical Christian living. Martin Luther, uh, it was uh, said of him, the Protestant reformer, that uh, he could face his enemies, but he could not ascend the pulpit stairs without his knees knocking. This was Martin Luther who nailed those 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Castle and began what we know as the Protestant Reformation. The dread a preacher feels usually comes from being aware of the magnitude of this task that is set before him. It's humbling. It is awe-inspiring to remember that the Lord has designed the preaching of the Word, spoken, Word from the pulpit of the Word to bring about change in the lives of those who hear that preaching. For the Reformer said the preaching of the Word is the very Word of God. And that is a humbling responsibility. We understand that the Word preached is the primary means of grace that God has given to us. The Word is one of comfort, but it is also a Word that confronts. It's where we find our peace, and at the same time where we find our sense of purpose. See, the dread a preacher feels partly comes from thinking about the offense that the preacher can so often give and cause as he preaches that word. 
Contrary to popular belief, I don't like to bother and offend people. Because this text that is set before us has a history of being misinterpreted and misapplied. I have to be particularly careful here as it deals with what we might call the rule of engagement. How we relate to one another within our families, our work, our relationships, and those relationships that we have in the world. In my attempt to bring a, a balanced interpretation here of this text, I, I don't want to water down the importance of what's going on here and the exhortations that, that Paul gives us, or even be accused of, of uh, circumnavigating, of, of, of sailing around and not really touching upon any of the important points of this text. In the world, there are rules of engagement, but here there is one rule. The Apostle Paul directs our attention here to what that rule is within our relationships. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, slaves to masters, masters to slaves. And we could spend the next several weeks, and, or if you want, we could spend the next few hours any response? <laughs> I didn't think so. We could, but, we, but, but, but I'm not. But for now, we're simply going to cut to the chase, get to the point, consider what is at the heart of all these relationships that our dealings with one another involved. It is this, to be imitators of God in Christ. Paul begins this passage here by telling us to be imitators of God in Christ. Therefore, Ephesians 5 verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. First and foremost is the call upon our lives to be imitators of Mimickers of God in Christ. Everything that follows comes out of that call, that command. Consider each one of those relationships that Paul has mentioned here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord, as the church is subject to Christ in verse 22 through 24. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 25. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Chapter 6, verse 1. Fathers, don't provoke, don't aggravate to anger, but instruct and discipline in the Lord. Slaves, be obedient as to Christ, as slaves of Christ, giving your service as to the Lord. Masters, do the same. All of this is impossible, isn't it? We can't do it. In our own flesh. We need help. We need a miracle. From Christ. And from the work of the spirit. We need help to love as Christ loves. To do as Christ commands. 
And along with the provision of the Holy Spirit, Paul reminds us here our need is to be filled with that Spirit. Paul goes on to detail some of the behavior that is evidence of being filled. Not only that one time filling as we are changed and and regenerated and converted by God's grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To experience the power and the evidence and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. What are the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit here? Look at chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul says that we should speak to one another in a way that does what? Builds up, encourages one another, rather than tear one another down. He said we should always be giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said we should be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, out of reverence and respect for Christ. In other words, there is a level of subjection that every Christian, every believer, everyone called by God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ must submit to, to yield to, regardless of gender, social class, Regardless of where God has placed us in the body and in the church, what role we have that he has given to us and assigned to us, we are to submit to one another out of fear of Christ. To be subject to one another in that fear of Christ. Here's the one who existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Here is the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us. I think the more that we're able to comprehend what Christ has submitted himself to, the more that we will be able and better equipped to understand Paul's instruction in this passage when he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Likewise, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. 
Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. What are we supposed to do with all those specific commands? Those specific instructions? Well, some would say they don't apply to us today. The Apostle Paul was speaking in the language of first century to first century Christians and the world today is different than it was then. Some would say we just skip over this text and deny the relevance of it all to the world that we live in today, here and now. Some would write it off as offensive and politically in, uh, inappropriate and incorrect and socially unacceptable. Some would say these words are spoken by a chauvinist, the Apostle Paul, who really didn't care much for women. Now, I don't say that. Reformed scholars don't say that. The Apostle Paul was speaking the very Word of God, inspired by God. But there are those who say all of this doesn't apply to us today, that we need to determine another set of rules of engagement in the society we live in. See, political correctness... uh, Dealing with certain topics and expressions today are so often off limits for us, aren't they? I mean, we can't call hillbillies hillbillies anymore. Not, not to offend anybody here if you're from the, the hills of Kentucky. They're Appalachian Americans. We can't say uh, a man is balding. They are now follically regressive. Did you know that? Kids don't get grounded anymore. They just hit social speed bumps. We've become so afraid of using the wrong word in the wrong place in front of the wrong people for fear of being considered offensive, insensitive, racist, sexist, that we've forgotten that perfect love cast out all fear. And lest you think this is just for the world outside these walls, many Bible translations even change language to be gender neutral, lest it offend someone. Well, maybe, with all that said, we ought to just simply uh, discount this text, jump over it, and forget about it. We've heard it all before. Let's just move on. In a world of political correctness, if we're going to be faithful to the Word, we must not skip over this. We must not neglect it. Because at the heart of all these relationships is that one rule of engagement for all our relationships. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, 
Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. See, it's here, as Christ gave himself up, that God, in his love for us, demonstrates his own love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know God's love for us? 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, what should we do? We also ought to love one another. See, it's always a dangerous practice to accept some biblical teachings while rejecting others that we find less palatable and maybe even sometimes distasteful and uncomfortable. It's God's word our only rule for faith and practice. When I was ordained in Grace Presbytery, January 24th, 1993, in First Presbyterian Church, Taylorsville, Mississippi. Yes, I was in Smith County. I was asked a series of questions as I made those first ordination vows Question number six asked me this. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? And I answered, yes. See, that was directed to me, but in a very real sense, each one of us, could attest and affirm that vow. As ordinary Christians, as if anybody in here is ordinary as a Christian. Because as believers, God is doing an extraordinary work in each one of us that we might be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and the peace and the unity of the church Our one and only rule of engagement in all of our relationships is to strive to maintain the truth of the gospel, the purity and peace and the unity of the church, not based on our own personal preferences, but drawn from the word of God contained in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament as our only rule for faith and practice. What Paul is teaching in Ephesians 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 must be understood in light of all the other teaching about all of our relationships within the body of Christ, our families and the world that we live in. See, elsewhere, Paul teaches about the equality of people before God. And here, within that equality, Paul exhorts us according to some of the rules and the distinctions of our roles that exist between a husband and a wife, and a child and a parent, and a parent and a child, and a slave and a master, and a master and a slave. We all have authority placed over us. We all have roles to submit to and to fulfill. But Paul says before Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. 
But even in those roles, we have obligations. God-given obligations before God. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. We're all on a level playing field before God, before Jesus Christ and the cross. So that having put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on... Look at these next phrases and words. Put on what? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We all, through faith in Jesus Christ, are standing on solid ground together at the foot of the cross with Jesus Christ as our head. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, in particularly speaking about the relationship between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband and that marriage bond, speaks of that as a mystery. He says this mystery is great, but what I'm speaking about is with reference to Christ and the church. And I think this statement, although directly applied and specifically applied to that uh, marriage bond, can also be applied to all of our relationships in Christ. All of those, husband and wife, child and parent, slave and master, Every time we are in contact with one another as Christians, it is a mystery how we're able to communicate even with one another properly, gently, patiently, with humility and kindness. Paul says that, uh, that this is a mystery. Because Christ is the head of the church and we are joined together in Him, with Him. What does it mean that Christ is the head? Very simply, He is the one that puts us all together. That joins us into a body. He is the one, Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Although he was God of gods, son of God, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Stop and think about that. Jesus Christ, 
Born as a babe in that manger, raised in that family of Joseph and Mary, taught a trade with his hands to be a carpenter, became a fisher of men, grew in his stature and knowledge before God as he grew up into being a man. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered and all those things he suffered on our behalf that we might know our God through faith and trust in Him who knew no sin. What does it mean that Jesus was a servant who learned obedience from the things that He suffered? In John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, on the night of that last supper before Jesus was betrayed, they all met, all the disciples met in that upper room that had been prepared for that occasion. And it was customary, as you may know, for the one who had prepared that room uh, to attend to the guest who came to that dinner party, wash their feet, see if each of the guests needed anything, And no one had done that. The dinner was in progress. And we know that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, that He had come from God, was going back to God, did what? He got up from the supper, laid aside His garments, and took a towel, girded Himself as a servant, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Whether we are husbands or wives, widows or widowers, children or employees, single or engaged, we are called to this humble service to one another. And that, my friends, in a world today, is a task that too few take on. Because it is humbling to serve as Jesus Christ served. Why is this so important for us? Why do we even need to look at this today? Why all the fuss about families and relationships? Why the instruction to husbands and wives? The instruction to parents and children, to masters and slaves? Could it be that our ability to be faithful Christians is shaped in large part by what happens in the home and in those tight relationships that Paul is describing here. And where is it that the enemy attacks primarily and strongly today? It's in the home. Redefining husband and wife Redefining the roles of children to their parents, of masters to their employee, of, of employers to employees. Could it be that the effectiveness of our witness to the world is closely connected 
to how we represent Christ within our own households. And here I'm not real sure that present day Christianity has done a very good job of that. It's difficult to discern whether the average Christian household behaves any differently than the average non-Christian household. Statistics seem to indicate all along that we live very much the same way. We watch the same television programs. We spend the money on our money on the same and similar things. Our children are no long, uh, less likely to, to grow up and to, to, to get in trouble. Our marriages are no less likely to become dysfunctional or dissolve altogether. And by all accounts, the Christian home has shown itself in this century and maybe even more so in the last decade and this first year of this new decade to not be very different from any other home in the world. So we shouldn't be surprised that our impact upon this world has been marginal. In a world of political correctness, we're called to be politically incorrect. To live counter to the culture where our only rule of engagement is to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There will be times to take a stand and to say something to move forward based upon the commands of God's Word. There will be times that maybe we just need to listen and see what is going on and respond in still and quiet ways to influence the world around us. And that's not to say that quietness and not saying anything is agreement with what's going on. See, our witness for Jesus Christ must not only shine from this congregation, but our witness for Christ must also shine brightly from our homes and our families as we engage the world with that one rule of engagement, and that is to be imitators of God in Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that you would enable us, each and every one, to take these words into our hearts and our minds, that they might be stilled in our lives, our words, our actions. As we go into the world, as we live in our families and in our homes, as imitators of you, our God, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.